airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B is over in Studio CC. And boy, have we got a jam packed show for you today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about the heart of your teenager, uh, how parents and teens can and should connect based on research and interviews done with teenagers. Okay, and, that should um, be good. And so, we yeah, have one. We do, we do. <laughs> and so we're going to be talking about that. It can be tense at times, um, I imagine. But mm-hmm. I, I think relationships with people in general it just yeah. can, be, can be tense at times. But yeah. the teenager seems to be a different type of creature. Yeah. So we're going to talk, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about that with Lissy Reno, uh, who's going to join us in the second segment. But there is... Uh, some important and up-to-date, some some news that we need to be sort of uh, having our finger on the pulse mm-hmm. of when we talk about uh, defending and protecting life. Our country is in an ongoing battle to protect babies. Yeah, Our country is in an ongoing battle to protect women, mm-hmm. to be truly mm-hmm. and genuinely pro-woman, mm-hmm. right? So this is an ongoing battle, and uh, we know that there is an update uh, with the Louisiana case that would protect the health of women who would find themselves in a dire situation uh, post-abortion. And I believe that the Supreme Court has begun uh, hearing oral arguments on a particular case out of Louisiana that kind of mirrors one that came out of Texas. And joining us now to talk about that, keep us up to date and inform us on how we need to be praying about this issue in particular is Reverend Dean Nelson, who is based in the Washington, D.C. area and is responsible for advancing the culture of life in the political sphere by building bridges, coalitions, and partnerships. He is the executive director um, at Human Coalition Action, Human Coalition Action. Um, Dean Nelson, thank you so much for joining Will and myself. We appreciate it. It's great to be on with you guys, as always. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you catch our listeners up to speed? What is going on with protecting the health of women um, as it pertains to this Louisiana case? Certainly. So uh, this case, uh, as you stated, coming out of the uh, great state of Louisiana, uh, just a few moments ago, I had the opportunity to uh, speak with the uh, Solicitor General, who was the the one who argued the case before the Supreme Court. But it's essentially a case that is dealing with what they call admitting privileges. Um, The whole idea behind this is if an abortion doctor is to prove to do abortions in a particular state, like in Louisiana, the state, uh, which was a law that the state passed, basically says they have to have admitting privileges, meaning they have to be okayed by the state and by uh, another hospital so that they can, um, if, if that person that they perform the abortion on uh, has a punctured uterus or mm-hmm. something like that, that they can admit those patients immediately to uh, a close nearby hospital. So the abortion opponents uh, or proponents uh, are are mad. They were screaming, you know, because they really don't 
uh, have no interest really in the life and the protection of the woman. They say that they're pro-woman and pro-life, pro-woman, but this isn't not this isn't the case. And That's so, right. um, after the arguments today, which have been done, uh, there were some notable things that came out uh, from talking with the Solicitor General. But um, our commitment from Human Coalition is that we serve women. Uh, every year, we will serve about a hundred thousand. Uh, women across the country through our women's clinics, through our virtual clinic based mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas, as well as through uh, our emphasis of hope, innovation, and service. So uh, we were pleased to offer an amicus brief uh, to the court mm-hmm. um, so that the court understands that there are organizations like ours that provide uh, free services to women. Uh, we rescue children, but we are pro-life, and uh, it was great for us to be able to offer that amicus brief to the court. Okay, and so just to make sure that we're all on the same page, the pushback came in Louisiana when um, back in 2014, Louisiana signed into law that an abortion provider had to have admitting privileges within a 30-mile radius of the abortion clinic. And so the objection, and I was reading some information, even I think um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was one of them who was suggesting that if a woman is going to have complications, she's going to go to her own doctor. But what we know, we have evidence to support. This is not something, you know, well, maybe or it's possible that this will happen. We know that women are injured at abortion facilities. We know that women go into duress and that they need to be admitted to a hospital immediately. So this is not something that we think might happen. This is something that has happened. It's happened not just in Louisiana, but in uh, many states uh, around the country. And so I think that... Uh, as you stated, that uh, the arguments fall flat because this law, which again is being supported by uh, the state of Louisiana, basically is simply saying we are concerned about the health uh, and the the protection of of women, particularly vulnerable women who may not have uh, a primary care, uh, you know, physician, women that go into some of these clinics. And uh, sadly, many of them uh, are harmed by these procedures, mm-hmm. they need to have protections and we need to have protections set up for them so that they can go as quickly as they can. Sometimes in cases like this, we know cases around the country where women have died uh, in between the time that the abortion is performed and they get to the hospital. And that's why this type of measure is so important. What information are you allowed to share with us and share with our listeners that you received from the Solicitor General um, regarding this case and the oral arguments? Uh, Well, one of the things that she highlighted today, and I do believe if the uh, transcripts are not out, they should be out very soon. Uh, What she was able to say was uh, the... um, some of the justices that uh, typically uh, oppose uh, pro-life positions uh, did not allow her to uh, finish many of her thoughts, uh, many of her things, because the more information that goes out about this particular case, I think it hurt, it hurts uh, the uh, the pro-abortion groups. Um, she said that uh, she was a little surprised that some of the justices on uh, on our side, the more conservative justices. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not ask uh, quite as many questions, um, but she felt like that in every opportunity she was able to get the word out, particularly, she said, using statements like, you know, punctured uterus, you right. know, because, again, those are the type of things that 
uh, the media and others typically don't want to get out. Mm-hmm. One of the other points that I think are, is important to highlight, because uh, the other side often makes this about uh, prohibiting uh, access for you know vulnerable populations and minority women, mm-hmm. I think it's important for listeners to know that this particular piece of legis- legislation was originated by an African-American woman who is a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Katrina Jackson oh, yeah. um, was one of the authors of this bill mm. originally, who was a huge pro-life champion. And so those are some of the things I think that they want to hide. They want to make this partisan. They want to make this about everything else. Donald Trump, they want to make it about everything else. <laughs> but really, all this bill uh, was about, and all this case really is about, is protecting women and serving women in the state of Louisiana. You know, one of the things that uh, conservatives have touted, and and certainly Christian conservatives have said, when we look at President Trump and we look at his uh, judicial appointments, you know, there's great hope and there's, uh, you know, we expect some things to be different. Uh, Is there anything, based on your conversation with the Solicitor General, that says, we should be concerned about, in particular, I'm thinking Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. I mean, I know that there, you just said that there were not a whole lot of questions asked, um, which you would expect on the pro-life side. Um, should we be concerned there, Dean? You know, she didn't quite go that far. Okay. Um, she, uh, I think, you know, there are a lot of different dynamics sometimes that are at play here. She wouldn't go that far. But she certainly didn't indicate that this was, uh, kind of a slam dunk, you know, that all of us, mm-hmm. you know, would like to see. Mm-hmm. Um, this case is uh, is a little bit different from, as you mentioned at the top of the show, from the case that was uh, out of Texas. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, in her in her comments, uh, as well as some of the comments from other attorneys that were there, um, they are, uh, we'll just say that they're guarded a little bit about um, not hearing as much or questions from some of the conservative justices uh, but I believe that um, at the end of the day, I think they consider this a win just that the court uh, would even hear this case, uh, and we're certainly prayerful as things move forward. Okay. Now, just to make sure that all of our listeners understand and that we're all on the same page, when we have this type of protection in place for women, not only are we valuing women and showing ourselves to be pro-woman, but don't we see that there is a decrease in excuse me, the amount of abortions that are provided. So is this the thing that scares those who are pro-baby murder? Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. Um, Just like at Human Coalition and Human Coalition Action, uh, our focus is, of course, rescuing children and, you know, creating a grassroots effort of uh, advocates around the country that do the same. But it is important to highlight that when these type of laws are in place, the net effect is is that it should um, really put the burden of proof on abortion providers. Uh, since this time, um, this this bill has actually become law. In this case, has come up before the court. Uh, there are several abortion clinics that have had to close in the state uh, of Louisiana. So I think the net effect is less abortion. Uh, in states like Louisiana, but it also gives us the voice to say, again, we as pro-life individuals uh, care about rescuing uh, children, but we also care deeply about the safe and the uh, the well-being of women. Reverend Dean Nelson, Executive Director of Human Coalition Action. I have one other question before we let you go. 
when you look at, and you've been in this fight for a long time, um, protecting babies, uh, protecting women, when you look at the climate of our nation right now and you look at the direction that we're headed in, um, it seems that, you know, for every step that maybe we take forward in protecting babies, uh, there may be two or three even steps backward where we go, you know, what's going on with people who are just, I, I would say, just rabid in their um, disdain for life. And, you know, it, it's sometimes difficult to reconcile. What is your outlook, Dean Nelson? When, when you look at where our country is, um, are you hopeful that we're going to see an end to legalized abortion in our country? Will we abolish abortion in our country, or will we just continue on attempting to make incremental gains? What do you foresee? Yeah, I think that there are many, many reasons for hope. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the fact that organizations like Human Coalition, which has only been around for 10 years, has mm -hmm. grown so quickly uh, through serving women across the country. I think that through strategic partnerships that we have with major African-American denominations like the Church of God in Christ, mm -hmm. we've been able to pull people in who normally have not been uh, been vocal on some of these issues. I think by the fact that we had uh, Senator Katrina Jackson and other pro-life Democrats who have supported uh, this type of uh, initiative should all give us hope. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There, We see that the Democratic Party in particular yes. is going further and further in terms of its platform away from what we would consider, you know, protection of, uh, of human life. But I believe that from a grassroots level, from a state level, mm -hmm. many states have passed uh, legislations that continue to restrict abortion. I think there's a great deal of optimism that we should have as we move forward with protecting innocent human life and serving women across our country. Very good. Very good. Reverend Dean Nelson, Executive Director, Human Coalition Action. How can our listeners learn more about Human Coalition Action? Thank you so very much. Yes, if they want to visit us at uh, hucoaction.org, uh, online that's H-U-C-O, hucoaction.org, uh, they can sign up to be a part of our email list. Uh, if they're in states where we have Human Coalition Women's Clinics, uh, they can join us there. So humancoalition.org also is our uh, parent organization's website. But um, they can also find me at uh, DeanLife1 on Twitter and uh, Dean Nelson on uh, uh, Facebook. So we'd love to engage with folks. I uh, had some wonderful people from uh, Louisiana that were up here today that are standing for uh, standing for the right to life for wonderful. innocent human beings. So we're wonderful. grateful for the opportunity to be on your program. Reverend Dean Nelson, everybody, Human Coalition, hucoaction.org. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Palace with I Know a Place. Sherry B is over in Studio CC, and she has gotten our guest on for us, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Mm. It's always great 
to be able to get just a little bit of insight <laughs> into the teenage mind yes and need it. into the teenage world because it's not <laughs> like we weren't once teenagers but it's just been a minute yeah it's been it's been a while so and you... the world has changed a lot which <laughs> oh man just saying what? that makes me sound like our parents yeah well we so are we are we're parents <laughs> right this is what we do uh, Lissy Reno is with us. She's a student at Lipscomb University in Nashville. She serves with Visionary Family Ministries, where she speaks at family events and has spoken in Scotland, France, Singapore, and Bolivia. Wow. She grew up <laughs> with impressive. one older brother and five younger siblings and is passionate about encouraging parents and teens uh, to build and maintain healthy relationships. And she's joining us today to talk about her book, The Heart of Your Teen, an insider look at the parent-teen relationship, and I'm excited to talk to Lissy because you and I have more than once, I've interviewed Amy a couple of times, mm -hmm. Rob at least once, mm -hmm. and so we know that Lissy comes from good stock. Yeah. All right, so, so, so Lissy, don't mess up, okay? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> She's like, look, stop it. All right, Lissy, thank you so much for joining us. So what prompted this book? Yeah, that's a great question. It's actually kind of a funny story. Um, after my senior year of high school, I took a gap year, and I spent half the year at home, and then the other half of the year, I actually did an internship in Scotland, working with a ministry over there. Um, but as you sort of mentioned, both of my parents are in ministry and are authors and um, speak to parents and speak on marriage, and it was really during my gap year that I found that God really just put a passion in my heart for teenagers, and um, specifically, kind of how to help teenagers live for Christ at home in their family relationships mm. first. And God was really doing a lot of work in my own heart as I felt like I was kind of just finishing my teenage years and looking back and reflecting and learning lessons. And so I began um, sort of this process of doing some writing and speaking to youth groups about this topic of, okay, what does it mean, what does it look like to live out our faith first at home you know, whether that be through honoring our parents or mm. loving our siblings or being a servant leader in our house. And then after that, then how does it flow out to everywhere else at, mm. church, ever, at church and at school and with friends? And so, so I began kind of exploring that topic. And then the spring of that gap year, I got in touch with a publishing company here in Nashville called Randall House. And they contacted me and they basically said, look, we really love what you're doing um, you know, and speaking and writing for teenagers, but we want you to write a book for parents on mm. how to have a better relationship with their teen. And at first, I was not excited at oh. all. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not a parent. I'm not an expert on parenting. You know, maybe I could write a page on this, like max, but let alone a whole book, I was like, there's no way. But my parents were really like, listen, you know, if God's opening up this door for you at 18 years old, um, just walk through it, submit mm. the proposal, and see what happens. And wow. so that's what I did, and it's really been an incredible journey since then of just seeing how um, God has been using this message and using some of the testimonies from the book to sort of bring bring parents and teens together. Oh, wow. this is great. I'm, I'm enjoying this already, Lissy. Thank you so much for that background. So what did you discover? Like, as you were interviewing teenagers and as you've <laughs> been traveling and ministering to teens, um, what information that is insightful for parents listening uh, can you share with us? Yeah, so really, as I started thinking about this project, one of my main concerns was that, um, you know, growing up in my home and with my family and with my parents, my experience is a lot different from other teenagers. And so if I were to just write a book about 
you know, my own high school experience, like that wouldn't really be covering all sides of this topic. And so I sort of set out with this mission to interview teenagers from as many different family backgrounds as mm. possible. So parents that were divorced or maybe um, they have single parent, Christian parents, non-Christian parents, kids that were homeschooled, that went to private school, that went to public school, just to get as many different opinions and perspectives as possible. And really, I just asked the question, so what did your parents do really well that helped build a relationship with you in high school? Mm -hmm. And then what's one thing that you wish they had done differently? And I sort of asked that question in regards to sort of seven different topics that tend to cause tension in the parenting relationship, whether that be dating or social media or um, spiritual matters or college, sort of all those difficult topics for parents and teens. And, you know, I was just absolutely blown away by some of the responses I got Mm. because despite the diverse backgrounds that all of these teens came from, Mm -hmm. their answers were so shockingly similar. Um, Just things that I heard over and over again were teenagers that were saying, you know, I wish my parents would ask me more intentional questions about my life. I wish my parents would spend more quality time with me. Um, I wish my parents would read the Bible more with us as a family. I wish my parents would pray more with us as a family. Um, Just incredible things to hear this coming from the perspective of a teenager. Um, And so it was through those interviews that I began to be really excited about the project. Wow, you know, that's really interesting because I I think that for many of us, when we're talking to teenagers or when we're listening to teenagers express, we tend to be a little bit disconnected thinking maybe they don't understand the depth of what they truly need, but to hear the communication that you just, you know, Mm -hmm. experienced with them, it shows that they really do understand. Oh, we may even feel like that those things, they don't want that. They don't want to talk to us more. They they Mm -hmm. don't, you know, but it's surprising to hear like, you like they want more of that. They want you to mm-hmm. read the Bible and as a family and all that kind of stuff. So give me an example, Lissy. What would the parent who's listening right now and they just heard you say that their teenager wants more intentional questions? Like, what does that sound like for a teenager where it's not awkward for them or it doesn't come off as accusing or it's not, you know, they don't feel pressured? What does Absolutely. an intentional question sound like? Absolutely. That's a great, great question. And I think Amy, you kind of even touched on this, but I, I really believe that, you know, the parent-teen relationship is under such immense spiritual attack during mm-hmm. those middle school and high school years. And I, I think that Satan and the demons are going to do everything that they can to keep the parents' hearts away from the kids yeah. and to keep the kids' hearts away from the parents. Mm-hmm. And in our house, the way that we kind of combated this was this idea of um, a heart connection or a heart-connected relationship. And basically what that means is just heart connection is just a relationship of openness, warmth, honesty, and trust that you have with a person. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the book walks through how parents can build that kind of heart-connected relationship with their teenager. And a phrase that I use a lot in the first chapter of the book is actually called seek relationship before discipleship. Mm. And I've seen this a lot with um, just Christian parents and even with my own friends' lives is that, you know, you have these Christian parents with great, great intentions and they want to pass their faith and they want to spiritually disciple their teen, but there's no foundation of a loving relationship. Mm. And you have to have a relationship before Mm -hmm. you can have discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so the very first chapter of the book, the book talks all about, okay, 
you know, spiritual spiritual things aside, how can you communicate um, that you want a relationship with your teenager, whether that be speaking words of affirmation, things like, you know, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so glad that you are my daughter, that you are my son. You know, I love you. I take joy in you. Um, other things like spending quality time with them. You know, for me, my my version of quality time is my mom, you know, picking me up from school and taking me out to Starbucks to get a coffee. Mm. Whereas for my 18-year-old brother, his is going to be driving through Steak and Shake at 10 o'clock at night to get a double cheeseburger. At <laughs> um, so, you know, parents taking that time to, to speak those, to speak love to their teen and be like, That's okay, good. I want to do and engage with what you love. That's good. And I think that that can go such a long ways. And opening the door for those kinds of conversations. And I think my mom um, is so wise with this because she was telling me the day on one of those late night burger runs with my brother, uh-huh. she was like, you know, I take him out to do that because by doing that, I have an opportunity to talk to him, mm-hmm. um, to talk to him about his day, to talk to him about his friends, about how things are going at school. She was like, if I didn't take the intentional time to do that with him, I don't know if we would be able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is just so, so wise. And it really, um, it really means a lot um, to a teenager when they can see that their parent, you know, is trying to be intentional with them and to spend that time with them. And also just to take the time to ask questions about their life and to be interested. You know, I think that some parents would think that we've got to leave. If we want to have an open relationship, if we want to have an in-depth relationship with our teenager, um, maybe we feel like we need to let them know. We need to lead with, hey, I want to have an open and in-depth relationship with you. Um, mm-hmm. Is that the way that we approach it? Like when we start talking and when we're having those, um, we might describe it as like the shoulder-to-shoulder conversations because it's, it's, it's less intimidating to be going through a drive through or to be going to get a coffee and, you know, to have those, they feel a little bit more casual. But how, do you, get, how do you get to the depth of conversation that I think parents are desperately seeking after? You know, I think that um, it can be really, really easy for parents um, to sort of give up quickly when it comes to pursuing the heart of their teenager. Um, and really, I would just encourage parents that you know, in the high school years, that's when your teen, that's when your child needs you the most, mm-hmm. um, needs your affirmation the most, needs your time the most, needs your wisdom the most. And I think that you're you're really right that you know maybe if you aren't if you aren't in the habit of having consistent conversations or deep conversations with your teenager than sitting them down first thing and being like, hey, I want a really in-depth relationship with you so we can share all these things. That might freak them out a little bit. Just yeah. a little. I mean, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, like I would probably be freaked out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but sort of that gradual building of trust between parents and teens. And something that I so appreciated when I was in high school that my parents told me is that um, if I was ever experiencing doubts or if I was struggling or if I was feeling um, conflicted or anxious or depressed, my, something my parents would always say to me was, listen, you know, we are the safest people in the world for you to talk to. Mm, that's good. Um, you can come to us with anything, mm-hmm. and we are committed to you in love and in prayer. No matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter what you go, where you go, um, you just know that you can trust us that's and that so we'll be good. here for you. That's so good. Yeah. And that's so reassuring because I think so many, for so many teens, there's so much fear um, and shame and fear of anger or fear of rejection that comes with sharing their heart with their parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think as much as parents can do to just reassure their teenager, hey, 
you know, I'm lo- I love you. I'm here for you. I'm committed to you. Um, I think it'll really open up those doors for some deep conversations. I want to go back to something you said earlier, Lissy, because I was just thinking about this, and, and you were talking about, you know, parents extending themselves and affirming their children, right? So the ability to be able to say, I'm proud of you. I'm so glad mm-hmm. that you're my daughter. I would imagine that this is way more impactful in the generation that we're in now than maybe even we as parents or our parents' parents would understand because we live in a digital heart culture where Mm -hmm. I think that our teenagers are responding to likes and hearts and shares and things like that. So when as a parent, Mm. we provide sort of like that in-person human heart for them, it's something Mm -hmm. that really resonates with them. Did you find that in your research to be true? Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there's a part kind of in the seventh chapter of the book that talks about parents that, um, you know, what do you do when your child fails? Mm-hmm. You know, I think for a lot of teenagers, um, parents can say things like, you know, of course you're going to mess up. Of course you're going to make mistakes. But when we actually do make a mistake, you know, it's kind of like World War Three of like everything <laughs> that comes crashing down. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think that communicating as much as parents can do to communicate grace, um, but also speak truth into their teenagers' lives, I think that that's so, so vital and so important as um, as they're building that relationship. And like you said, when I, I remember a time, I think I was my freshman year of high school, and I had just gotten into a conflict with my mom and um, was just really struggling. And I think I was I, I was in tears and just really having a hard time. And she came to me and she was like, "Lissy." Um, you know, do you know that I love you? And I was like, well, yeah, of course I know that you love me. And she's like, well, do you know that I'm proud of you? And I was like, well, no, like, I, I don't think that you're proud of me. Um, I don't really feel affirmed for the things that I'm doing well. I kind of feel like I'm just getting criticized for the things that I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like you're proud of me. And then my mom, at the time, you know, a lot of those feelings were exaggerated in me, but I think for her, she really realized, wow, like I need to be communicating more intentionally. First of all, just affirming the things that you are doing well, affirming your strengths, and also just communicating that, you know, I I am proud of you. I take joy in you. Um, I think that that was really sort of eye-opening for her as she, as we start, she kept parenting me through high school. You know, I'm really glad that you shared that anecdote, Lissy, because I think that for, for us as Christian parents and we're raising children and we want to um, pass down the gospel to our children, sometimes it's difficult for us to hear from our kids that maybe they are not experiencing from us what we want them to experience. You know, we think mm-hmm. that, hey, I, I love you, you know that, right? Or I, I'm proud of you, you know that. And so to be able to hear that a kid can articulate no, I don't feel that. And as you say, you know, maybe there's a little bit of, you know, just life experience that maybe exaggerates that in your mind. But to hear your mom's response to that, that she wasn't, she didn't go into defense mode. You know, she didn't Mm -hmm. go into, well, you Mm -hmm. should know this. You know, those things become critically important when we desire to connect at the heart. Now, we're coming up on a break here, and I want to do two things. One, I want to give a website for where our listeners can get a copy of the book. And then on the other side of the break, I want to talk about those teenagers who are in rebellion. Um, maybe they don't want to go to church with their parents. Maybe they just, they've had enough of all of that. I want to hear what insight you have to offer on that. But first, where can our listeners get a copy of the book, The Heart of Your Teen? Absolutely. So you can find the book on Amazon. Just type in The Heart of Your Teen. 
Um, it's also available on our website, which is www.visionaryfam.com. All right, now we're going to grab the break. We come back. We got two copies to give away, so make sure you stay close. Lissy Reno joins us. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Eight to ten ounces it weighs, two thousand gallons a day, carrying life fluid around an array of blood vessels, arteries, capillaries, and veins. Blood in, blood out when it bangs, but not a gang. The blood coordinator divided by four chambers. Your brain is steady, regulating what your heart rate is. Uh, it gives life when it expands and it repeats. Our creator gave it rhythm and we're dancing to it. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Hazakeen with Matters of the Heart. Matters of the heart. Lissy Reno joins us. We're discussing her book, The Heart of Your Teen, an insider look at the parent-teen rela- relationship. Lissy, I was, you know, thinking as we were headed to the break here, and I knew I wouldn't be able to squeeze it in, but, you know, there are parents who are listening to you right now who have this feeling of, you know, we did everything we thought was best. You know, we went to church as a family. Um, we thought that we were instructing our kids in godliness, and now they find themselves at a place where they have uh, what we call a wayward teen, who it appears that they have turned their back on their faith or they're experiencing the season of doubt. Um, how would you encourage that parent listening today? Yeah, that's such a great question. And really, my heart really goes out um, to those parents because I know that it is really difficult and really um, challenging to deal to deal with all of the, the problems that can occur in that relationship. And um, something that I think is, is really helpful is just sort of going back to that heart connection relationship. And, um, you know, so say there's this scenario where a teenager kind of sits down with their parents and be like, mom and dad, like, I hate church. Like, I hate going to church. I don't want to go to church. I, I don't like the people there. I don't like this. I don't like that. Um, you know, in that situation, it can be so easy for parents to immediately respond with anger mm-hmm. or to immediately respond with sort of, kind of judgment or get upset or to have this kind of sort of lecturish conversation. Well, what I would encourage parents is that that right there, a teenager coming to you and saying, being honest about how he's feeling about church, being honest about how he's feeling about his faith, that's a victory for the relationship mm-hmm. because he didn't have that's to good. be honest with you. That's yeah. good. He didn't have to tell you that, you know, he didn't like church or that he was struggling. And so I think that one of the greatest things that a parent can do is when a teenager comes to them with those feelings that, you know, or says things that are hard to hear or that the teenager knows is going to be difficult for the parent to hear, for them to turn and say, hey, you know, thank you so much for being honest with us. Mm -hmm. Um, We know you didn't have to tell us that. You didn't have to share that with us, but we so appreciate your honesty and, you know, we want to walk alongside you and tell us more, tell us more about how you're feeling. Um, because then again, that opens the door for the yeah. teenager to go, to set, to talk about what's going on in their heart. Um, and again, you know, every step that your teenager makes to be honest with you is a victory for the relationship, mm-hmm. whether they're sharing things that are positive or negative. Um, because you always want to keep that honesty going. Because yeah. if you get to the place where your teenager stops talking to you, where they stop sharing their feelings, where they stop sharing on with sharing what's going on in their heart, um, 
that's where there's danger. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the place where I would say, you know, you want to be very careful of that you're sort of maintaining that those open lines of communication. That's so good. Yeah. That is yeah, so I'm good. I'm just hearing, you know, parents, we need to have self-control because the first reaction may be to get upset by yeah. something that's said. Yeah. But you always want to keep those lines of communication open. You know, by by saying, OK, like like she just said, OK, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah. You know, let's talk <laughs> more right. about it instead of just dropping the hammer. So you we know? parents may mm-hmm. need to have those mirror moments where we just practice our, our <laughs> yeah. empathetic face, where we learn <laughs> how not to have an immediate reaction. Because honestly, I think, listen, you can speak to this if you want. But I think for parents, when we hear that our kid is hurting or having doubts or, you know, maybe they've kind of, you know, come to the end of something, mm-hmm. whatever that something might be, we don't always think, okay, they are having a moment, just as we in our own humanities have had right. different moments and different experiences. What we often think is, what didn't I do? Mm. We, we mm. tend to think that we are responsible for that. What's, mm. what's maybe wrong with that approach, Lissy? Well, you know, I think that, again, I mean, I, I'm obviously not a parent and I can't really, I can't really speak a whole lot to, um, sort of the emotions that are felt on the parent side of things. But, you know, for me and my parents, there was a lot of ups and downs in our relationship where, um, you know, a a lot of times there was a lot of conflict and I'm a very strong willed child um (laughs) i still am strong-willed in many ways so i definitely don't think that i made it very easy for my parents (laughs) during my high school years but um one thing that sort of i really appreciated about them the most is that um you know kind of i always knew that they were committed to me in prayer and in love and really in talking with other teenagers too, I think that's something that's really impactful is um, sort of witnessing the faith of their parents on mm-hmm. display, mm-hmm. witnessing how God is working in their own heart, working in their own life. And of course, parents aren't going to be perfect. Just like, you know, a teenager is not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Parents are going to make mistakes too. But mm-hmm. I think that um, something that my parents were, had really worked on is when they did make mistakes, when they did, um, maybe feel like it was their fault or maybe, or vice versa. Um, so I just allowing me to kind of get a window into their own spiritual journey mm-hmm. of being like, you know, this is what God's really doing in my heart right That's now. Good. This is how he's working in me. This is how he's changing me. Um, because obviously no one is perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, it's such a journey um, in this relationship. And so I think that for, for teenagers to be able to see kind of, where their parents' heart is at and just saying, look, I'm not going to be perfect, but, you know, I'm really asking the Lord to help me grow and to help me to help me change. I think that that's really impactful. Mm. So give us some insight, Lissy, on um, the delicate march that is um, maintaining a healthy relationship with your teen, but also recognizing that God has put you in a unique place, that you're not just a friend, you're not just a mm. confidant, you also have a certain amount of, of authority in that teenager's life. Um, Can you help us understand maybe the delicate balance of this friendship relationship, but also discipline, Um, the level of respect that is involved in discipline? What do teens hope 
that parents know about how to discipline them at this age? What I would say is just this phrase of, you know, grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. Mm. Um, I think for a lot of parents, it, it can kind of sway to one side. You have some parents that are full of grace, but do not speak a lot of hard truth mm. into their teenager's life. Mm-hmm. And then you have some parents who are full of a lot of very hard truth that mm. might be very beneficial and accurate, but they don't have a lot of grace. Mm. And I think that teenagers need such a mixture of both because both sides of the spectrum are harmful. Um you know, for a teenager. And so I think that really there's a whole chapter in the book that focuses on honor and the importance of honor in the home. And where God really convicted me of this is um, just sort of the difference between honor and obedience. Because growing up, I mean, I was a pastor's daughter. I was a pretty obedient kid. I wasn't very rebellious. Um, But even though I was obedient in my actions, usually the attitude of my heart was one of anger and defiance and bitterness towards my parents. Mm. And, you know, that's not honor, because honor combines our actions and our attitudes. And so for parents who are trying to create a culture of respect and a culture of honor in their home with their relationship with their teenagers, you know, I would say that you need to be on the lookout for the heart attitude of your teen. Mm. Um, It's not just about their actions, it's about what's going on in their heart. And so, you know, even if you have obedience, I think that really digging deeper into those issues of respect and honor, um, well, first of all, it takes a lot more effort. It's not yes. easy. Um, it's not an easy fix. It's not something that's just as simple as giving a consequence or something like that. Um, but I think that that's really key in developing that relationship of um, respect and honor is just being very aware of what um, the attitude of your teen's heart is. Yeah, now that's, that is something, yeah. and, I, and I think that, you know, to, to point out that that requires extra work because usually I think, and we don't mean to be this way, but as parents, we do want compliance. Mm-hmm. We do want our kids to obey us. But if you have obedience where, you know, that, that old anecdote where the mm-hmm. kid is told to sit down, they sit down, but they're like, in my heart, I'm standing, standing up, up yeah. you know. <laughs> um, you know, I we, we had a conversation with one of our kids where, where she actually expressed that. She said, mm-hmm. sometimes... I feel like I'm that kid. I feel like I'm going to do immediately what you say. But, you know, she said in my heart, I feel like, you know, I'm, I don't want to do it or I don't understand mm-hmm. why it has to happen. And so that requires hours of heart connect <laughs> to be able to get mm-hmm. them to be vulnerable like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lissy, yeah, um, what is your biggest takeaway from, you know, interviewing teens and just your own experience, you know, as far as the the greatest challenge to the parent-teen relationship? Mm-hmm. What's the greatest mm-hmm. hurdle that we face? You know, I would say the greatest hurdle is, um, you know, you know, Satan and the demons are going to do everything that they can to keep parents and kids far from each other. Um, because I really believe that, like you just mentioned, you know, I've been, my parents are my spiritual authority. Um, God gave me to them to shepherd me and to disciple me. Um, and because of that, there's such a unique and powerful relationship between parent and child. And I, I truly believe that, you know, if a parent um, and teen are connected in a relationship of warmth and honesty and openness and love and discipleship, that there is so little that the enemy can do to tear that child away from the Lord. Mm, but if the enemy can get parents' hearts hard towards their kids and kids' hearts hard towards their parents, um, you know, I think that they're so much more susceptible 
the temptations and the attacks of the enemy um, when when Satan can get teens isolated or disconnected from their parents or disconnected from their faith community. Mm-hmm. And so really, the main premise of the book and the encouragement for parents is that no matter what resistance you face, no matter what challenges you face, you know, never give up relentlessly pursuing the heart of your teens um, because it is a mission that is so worthwhile and it is so needed for your teenager because like I said um, the high school years are when they need you the absolute most you know I just have one other question Lissy um, because as I'm listening to you and I'm, I'm hearing you just reveal so much and it it is so insightful and it's encouraging yeah. to us I just have to say and I know that other parents are listening and they feel that same encouragement I'm just wondering if maybe you could give us sort of a, a, a snapshot view of what the Lord did in your heart because you know Every parent, I think, wants a strong-willed child whose will is strong in the right direction. Right. <laughs> and so, and so what, I, what I hear coming from you is that the Lord took your personality because he didn't make a mistake on right. you. Like, he didn't make a mistake mm-hmm. on your personality because now here you are resolute about the things of God and even encouraging parents, you know. So my question is, what was the turning point in your life where you realize, like I tell my girls, and, and I'm joking with them, but I say, you know, use your powers for good. You've got these gifts and you've got mm-hmm. these abilities. Use your powers for good. So when did you hit that point where you were like, you know, this is for the glory of God and I'm not going mm-hmm. to use it against my parents? Mm-hmm. Um, really, that turning point for me was after my senior year of high school. And I kind of mentioned this before, but um, sort of in my in my outside life and um, with my friends and at school and at church, I would always have people that were telling me, um, oh, Lucy, you know, like, you're so great. You're so mature. You're so wise. You're so this, this, and this. And I actually got to the point in high school where I was like, yeah, I mean, I am all of those things. Like, <laughs> I am pretty great. Like, I am pretty wonderful. Um, and at home, my parents were pointing out uh, a lot of things in me that were difficult to hear. They were like, you know, to your sister yesterday. We feel like you're not following through with your responsibilities. Um, you're not being very honoring lately. You're a little selfish in these areas. And I, I finally got to this point of frustration where I was like, oh my goodness, mom and dad, you know, everyone else just tells me how great I am. Why can't you guys just hop on the bandwagon and agree for once? Um, but really where the Lord got hold of my heart is with this phrase that is just um, who you are at home is who you really are. Mm. Um, and that just hit me really, really hard after I graduated high school because, you know, I kind of realized that, you know, all my selfishness and rudeness to my family, that was the real me. Mm. It wasn't the person at church or at school or with my friends. And so God really just began to convict me that, you know, if I'm going to be serious about my faith, if I'm going to, you know, even just thinking about my own future family with my future husband and future kids, like, you know, our faith has to be lived out first at home. And it really started with, okay, you know, what does it look like to honor your parents? Because as I mentioned, like, I feel a of obedience to my dishonor in my heart. And so God really had to strip me of that sense of dishonor. Um, also, he taught me a lot about um, servant leadership. Wow. And just, yeah, that verse in the Bible that says, you know, serve one another humbly in love and just realizing that, um, I wasn't doing that in my own home, and I wasn't doing that with my siblings. But it's still, in many ways, is a journey that 
you know, I'm still on and still learning and still struggling. And, um, but I'm really grateful for the, what God has what God has taught me and sort of how He's brought me to this point. Let me just say this: I am I I appreciate you so much, and I. I you know, as a parent listening to you, mm-hmm. I rejoice. And I'm not listening <laughs> as your parent. I'm listening as a parent. And right. I just say, glory to God. I Amen. mean, this is so encouraging. The book is The Heart of Your Teen, an insider look at the parent-teen relationship by Lissy Reno. Um, 888-589-8840. Caller number one and two will get a copy of the book. Sherry will take your call. Thanks for listening to Aaron the Addison's. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.